0: We're talking in this series, um, second to last Sunday in this series, Frustrations with God. And we're talking about different frustrations that we've had. And if if you've missed a few or forgotten or been gone on vacation or whatever, like we were last Sunday, um, on the beach in Cape May, which was uh, really nice. Um, Glad it wasn't this weekend, huh? Um, anyway, uh, we've been talking about different aspects of that whole thing of fr- with frustrations of God. Frustrations. Last Sunday, Clay talked about frustrate the frustration of uh, you know why do bad things happen to good people. I, I talked also about uh, one of the frustrations with God is that so many of His people are jerks, and um, it's not really with God but it was with His people. But God gets blamed for it, right? This one is He'll punish me if I step out of line. Um, the uh, more raw version, the way I. First, put it down, and still have it down. If I get out of line, I'm gonna get nuked by God. Um, and I think many of us can relate to that, and have felt that way. And, and, you know, it, it depends really on our background. Uh, I was raised in Protestant background. Uh, I was had heard really from the early age about you know this you know the sermon was I don't know the sermon was quoted. or I just heard the title of the sermon a lot. The great Jonathan Edwards sermon of Jonathan Edwards. He's a Princeton. Actually, he's not a Princeton guy. He was a president of Princeton. I kind of think this is kind of funny. He's a president of Princeton, but he went to Yale, which I don't know if that would happen today or not. But anyway, and get this, just a just little another piece of trivia about Jonathan Edwards, who was a great American, theologian, philosopher, uh, minister, president of a university. Um, he started Yale at age like 13. And, uh, and I realized it was a different time and so forth, but he was a pretty smart guy. Anyway, the very most, one of the most famous, if not the most famous, quote-unquote, sermons in America at that time, and really still it's in literature, is the sinners in the hand of an angry God. That's how I used to hear it it's said all the time, sinners in the hand of an angry God. Funny how you remember those things as an adult, but the way your pastor used to say it. And you think about that, whether you know anything about the message, the sermon itself or not, you just think about that, Whoa, that sounds terrible. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. I'm a sinner. Oh, my gosh. And you get all kinds of misunderstandings about that, you know. Do you have maybe a, a more of a Catholic background? You might have been taught, not just Catholic, some others, you know, that there are certain kinds of sins, some worse than another. Some are mortal, some are venal, and 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 you know and and you get into that whole thing. Although I said you know, I wasn't Catholic, but we had we still had sins that were worse than. I mean, you know, when I was coming along, it was like drugs really weren't that big of an issue yet, at least where I lived, um because it was out in the middle of a cornfield, and the worst thing you could do is you know smoke a corn cob pipe or something. But um, um I think the worst thing you could do probably is you know the sins that talked were talked about the most: sex, of course. Um, And um, um, drinking, couldn't be drinking, and smoking. Man, you smoke, man, you're going to bust the gates of hell wide open, baby, you know. Those were the kinds of impressions that, you know, and and for all of us, it's different things. Um, Different things that, boy, if I do this, God's going to really get me, going to really get me. And it's kind of funny because it's as if God is sitting in heaven ready to drop those divine God grenades on us every time we get out of line. We have that impression. And unfortunately, those don't just uh, stick with us as kids. Sometimes they stick with us as adults. And they become some of those basic youth issues become basic adult issues. And the church hasn't helped. Remember this quote? I did this back around Christmas time. Uh, Robert Capon said this, The church, by and large, has had a poor record of encouraging freedom. She spent so much time inculcating in us the fear of making mistakes that she's made us like ill-taught piano students. We play our songs, but we never really hear them because our main concern is not to make music, but to avoid some flub that will get us in Dutch or in trouble. That's the way he's using that word. So the frustration is if I get out of line, I'm going to get nuked by God. Let me give you the simple answer. If that were the case, you'd all be dead. And so would I. There'd be no people and there'd be no pastor. We'd all be dead, you know, if that were the case. Um, Before I answer that question, question a little more of that objection, a little more seriously, and uh, that's serious, but a little more um, comprehensively. Um, let's look back a few years in history and see, um, see how other people who sought to live a life that pleased God, see how they dealt with some of those things. I want to take you back to um, mm, late 1400s, early 1500s, and introduce you to a guy named John. His real name was Johann. He was called John. Very, and John had a tough boss. His name was Leo. Leo was, was really very demanding, and, and he had a huge construction project going on. And uh, he was about, uh, he, 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 because of graft and corruption and incredible, ridiculous extravagance, he was about to go belly up financially, his organization was. So as a result, he put tremendous pressure on John, or Johan, to do some really crazy stuff. Let me give you the rest of the story on this, all right? Um, John was really Johann Tetzel, T-E-T-Z-E-L. He lived from uh, 1465 to 1519. And Leo was really Pope Leo X, who Protestant and Catholic scholars alike today would say was not a very good guy at all. Part of those dark, dark, dark ages uh, for... Really, the the only known church at that time. So, because he was building what we now know as of Saint Peter's Basilica, and because Pope Leo X was just letting all of his law in laws and relatives and everything else uh, become part of uh, the Vatican at that time, he had tremendous expenses. They were going through money. I mean, and I read some of the numbers, and it was just crazy. Um, but because of that, he started this thing called indulgences. Now, here's what an indulgence is a great idea. I mean, this is a great idea. Here's what an indulgence would do. You could pay money, and that would take care and absolve your sins for the rest of your life. Isn't that a great idea. I am all over that. I mean, and you you, you would buy different indulgences for different sins you could buy an indulgence for drinking too much that'd be great and then you'd have an indulgence for you know uh, immorality, and then you'd have an indulgence for lying on your income tax and you'd have an indulgence for for whatever and you could just you know, and, and it was a great way to raise money for the church um, obviously it's too bad it really doesn't work that way or we all can just bankrupt ourselves and and sin any way we wanted to sin but um, it didn't work that way but it really did raise a lot of money but one of the things that came out of that was oh by the way Tetzel used to have this little couplet that he would use kind of a that he would use to sell these indulgences listen to this his couplet was as soon as a coin in the coffer rings the rescued soul from purgatory springs that good As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the rescued soul from purgatory springs. One man in particular was sickened by all this. Martin Luther. It caused him to eventually write 95 theses. And you know what? I I, I did this weekend for the first time in a long time. I read through all 95 theses. And you need to do that. You need to do that. Just go Google 95 Theses. You'll find several different copies of it. I rec- recommend the one that's translated into English. And um, it is, <laughs> I have the other ones if you want German, but, but uh, um, it's, uh, it's just, it just really is good to read. The 95 things that he was inviting people to debate on. It wasn't declaring a Reformation. The Reformation came out of that. He nailed that onto the door at the church at Wittenberg on, uh, uh, on October the 31st, 1517. And of course, that began a long process that we now know as the Reformation. He, he didn't know at that time that it would lead to that. He was simply inviting people to debate some of these. And one of the things that was just bugging the heck out of him was this whole thing of, of these indulgences. He says, is that the way to please God? I don't think so. Well, we've come a long way since the 1500s, haven't we? And I don't think, maybe, maybe one or two, but I don't think there's anyone here, probably, that would think that by, by, you know, giving more money, they could somehow get more love from God or get greater favor from God I think most of us realize we need to give and and we have needs here as a church and giving is a part of what we should do but I think most of us realize that that giving doesn't cause us to gain greater favor with God if not you need to hear that okay God's not going to love you more if you give more money to Renaissance Church I will but but God won't no I'm kidding I'm going to love you no matter what I'm going to try to reflect God's love on that issue. Um, you know what? But there might be some who think that certain religious acts might curry God's favor, might, might give us greater favor with God. Certain religious things that we can do. And, and I, want to, I want to just say this, and I want to say it very clearly. And I, and I, I again, purposely announced vespers so I could say what I'm about to say right now because we believe in communion, we believe in baptism we're going to have a ba- we'll have a couple baptism, baptismal services this summer and we'll get some dates because some of you have asked me about that so we believe in at least two symbols that the New Testament teaches but I want to say it this way there is no act, there is no sacrament, there is no liturgical exercise that you can do to get greater favor with God or Christ, there's just nothing Now, there's nothing wrong with liturgy. And for some of you, it might mean something significant. That's fine. As long as you understand, that doesn't mean I'm doing something that gets greater favor with God. There's nothing wrong with with something we might call a sacrament, communion, or something else like that. There's nothing wrong with that, certainly. And hopefully it marks maybe some benchmarks in your faith or, or, or some other kind of thing. Nothing wrong with that unless we start thinking, that gives me greater favor with God. Because it doesn't. Because I already have his full favor. And I want to show you that. The Bible says very clearly, and I want to show you that. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8 in just a second. The Bible says that the person of faith in Christ, and I want you to get this, I got this, I got this right here, it's in, it's in my notes and it's in capital letters. Okay, I don't know if you can see that, you can see that, but they can't see that. In capital letters, the person of faith in Christ is safely safely in the center of God's hand and nothing can change that. The person of faith in Christ is safely in God's hand and nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. Not even you. Say, well, what if I say, God, I don't believe you're there anymore. He'll still love you. What if I have some doubts about, he'll still love you. And I've had many of those conversations over the years with people. Well, I don't know about this. I said, you know, you need to figure that out. But God still loves you. He doesn't love you any less. Now, here we go. Let me show you this. I'm going to show you three basic thoughts. Just three thoughts from Romans chapter 8 that, uh, that just deal with this whole thing. That if you're a person of faith in Christ, you are safely in the center of God's hand and nothing can change that. First thought is this, the person of faith in Christ is condemnation free. They're condemnation free. That's why the church should not be a place of condemnation. Too many times it is. Watch this. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1. So now, it's real clear. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Boom, right there. How many ways can you interpret that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in human body like ours, except that ours is sinful. We knew that. Ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving, us, by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law... What, this is really an interesting verse. Watch this. He did this so that the requirement of the law... Now, what's the requirement of the law? The law here is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. There are actually more than ten. We kind of we do the, the, the Decalogue. What are the, what's, what's the Ten Commandments? Ask? The Ten Commandments basically is, is asking us to be holy. So what he's saying here is God did this so that the requirement of the law, which is what? Holiness... Would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit who lives within. So the person of faith, there's no longer condemnation. Now that doesn't mean that you can't do things that are wrong because you can. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't address that when that happens. We should. But from God's perspective, We're righteous because He's looking at us through what Jesus has done for us and our acceptance of that, not because I'm just a a sinner, because I am. They didn't see the old nature, even the residue of the old nature that's still there. He sees the new person that is in Christ. I love that truth. I just love that. And maybe it's because I'm such a sinner. Um, Second thought I want you to see, still in Romans chapter 8. Okay. still thinking about this thing that the person of faith in Christ is safely in the center of God's hand and nothing can change that person of faith the person of faith in Christ is condemnation free second thought the person of faith in Christ has no room no need no obligation to be fearful of God now I'm not just just a quick little clarification I'm not saying there shouldn't be reverential fear there should always be reverential fear for God we're talking about where we're shaking and trembling. And I want to take you to passage in Romans chapter 8. Actually, if you were at Vespers about a month ago, actually three weeks ago, um, Clay covered this, uh, two of these verses very well and did a great job with them. But uh, so I'm going to, hopefully, hopefully, those of you who are here, this will sound familiar too. But uh, look what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So, you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children. Watch this. Adopted into his family, calling him father, dear father, a term of endearment. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And you skip down to verse 34 and look what he says. Who will then condemn us? Will, Jesus, will Christ Jesus? No. For he's the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. For us, I love this concept. Pleading for us, let me just elucidate a moment. The Bible also t- tells us—excuse me—tells us that Jesus is our advocate, like kind of like our lawyer. Um, hang on to that thought, uh, just for a moment, and, and don't have negative thoughts because I said lawyer, okay? Um, um, the Bible also calls him our priest. So here's what I want you to picture in your mind. I, I do this sometimes. Seriously, and don't carry this too far. There's, the correlation breaks down somewhere, so don't get too, too crazy with this. But, but here's, here's the picture I want you to, to just think about. Here's the, here's the picture. Here's the scene in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and here's Jesus. And he, the, the, the words here, and there's a couple of other places that, he, he, that talk about this whole concept of Jesus pleading for us. To God, he's our he's our priest. He's talking to God the Father for me. And God the Father is looking down from heaven, so to speak, and he sees Rich on the golf course. He sees him. Now, seriously, hang on with me just for a second, okay? He sees sees, sees him. I know you. You think I'm going to talk about my 84, and I am. So, um, you you get through the front nine and you hit on number 10. You had a 41. You're thinking, "Oh man, I can do this. I can do this." And you jerk the ball left, and maybe something. Maybe, maybe something comes out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth. Not saying that it happened. I'm just saying maybe, okay? And then here's Jesus and God, that's not rich. That's his old nature. And, he, and I don't want you to look at the, the word that he just said. Um, I want you to think about the fact that he's trusting me. You know, and, and, and now you just think about yourself, in, in any situation like this, it doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't excuse me or you from responsibility of trying to live lives and, and have life and, and language and so forth that, that would be honoring. It doesn't excuse anything. But when those times do pop up, here's God, here's Jesus talking to God the Father, saying, hey, He's trusting me. Look at Him through the lens of of Jesus, who died and rose again for him and for that person. And, you know, that's really hard to grasp sometimes, but that's, that's what Jesus is, does for us. That's why he is my priest. That's why he is my advocate. That's why he's pleading for me. That's why I have no reason to fear or to go out of obligation or need of a fear for God, because of Jesus and what He did. Don't miss that concept. Please don't miss that concept. And unfortunately, for most of it, most of us, it goes much further than maybe a word that we might utter. It might be how we treat somebody. It might be some, some other action of, 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 of not valuing people or yourself or getting involved in a relationship that, that's wrong, whatever it might be. The person of faith in Christ has no room or nor need, nor obligation to be fearful of God. That's why Jesus came. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean we should ask God to give us the ability to do better because He should. And we should. And He will. Oh, by the way, all I said was darn. All right, next, next point. Next point, all right. Um, person of faith in Christ is condemnation free person of faith in Christ has no room need nor obligation to be fearful of God third thing this is, this, this is just so important the person of faith in Christ can never ever be separated from God or his love never ever ever watch this Romans 8. Verse still in Romans 8, we're going to skip no, we're going to skip to just the next verse. Verse 35, I'm not skipping anything. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from God's love, from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? And then he quotes from the Old Testament here. Even the scriptures say, For your sheep were we are killed every day. Uh, We are being slaughtered like sheep. He's referring to a David verse there. They're being being persecuted because of their faith in God. He says, can these things separate us? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now, you, you skip to the next verse, verse 38. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Now before I read the next verse. Sometimes people say, Well, I accept all that, but it doesn't say that I can't. It doesn't say that I can't separate myself from God's love because of my doubt, because of my fears, because of the lifestyle that I want to lead, because of some other reason. I can separate myself from God's love because I just, I just basically blow it over and over and over and over and over again. I, I can, and, and in big ways, in a major way, I can separate myself from the love of God. I can do that. And I would say, Eh, wrong answer. Watch. Verse 39, whether we are high above the sky or deep in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation. Can I help you with this? You're a part of creation. You're a created being. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let's say it again. The person of faith in Christ is safely in the center of God's hand and nothing can ever change that. Nothing. I want to bring up a hard subject. I don't like dealing with hard subjects. Had a hard subject last week. I just left town. That's, that's what I like to do. Um, not, not sometimes I deal with hard subjects all the time. But I want to bring up a really hard subject right now because it has to do with this issue. In 30 years as a minister, probably a couple of dozen times, I haven't counted and it's never easy, but it's about that many times that I've had to deal with suicides. And I hope I've dealt with my last, probably not, but it's never easy and it's basically just, it's just hell, be perfectly blunt. But in every situation that I've dealt with it, whether I'm just there, whether I do the service or whatever, in every situation, there's a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a, a child or an a, 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 a adult child or an aunt or an uncle or a good friend. Every situation, somebody at least once will come to me and say, does this mean they're in hell? Because the church in general... Has taught over the years, if you commit that one sin, maybe it's not suicide. Maybe it's getting drunk, which is a sin. Getting in your car and then die and then getting killed, and and, and therefore you're going to go to hell because you were in sin when you died, you know. Or, or the suicide thing, you commit a you commit murder, it's yourself, and therefore you die, and therefore it's the the last thing you do uh, with your last living breath is a sin, and therefore you're gonna you're gonna bust the gates of hell open. You're gonna go right straight to hell. And, and here's the answer to that question, and it's, it's, because people are looking for comfort and they're looking for hope, and, and the answer is this, when, when, you, when, one, when one comes to faith in Christ, nothing can change that, not even yourself and your own stupidity and your own desperation, whatever it might be. Nothing can change that. And, and so you know i mean, i got some verses that i can pull together to, to show that from some other places besides this but that's an important issue and if you've, if you've ever had to deal with that i first of all apologize for bringing it up because it's never if you've had to deal with it it's just never easy but I, it's got to be dealt with and, I, and it's got to be dealt with in this because the church has just lied about it for so long and i don't know why i don't know why i don't read more of the bible you know Like Mark Twain said, the quote that I gave a few weeks ago, the greatest cure for Christianity is the Bible. Um, I mean, it's it's just so true. So that's an issue that you need to see because you see, go back to that verse 39. It's still up there on the screen. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. That's an important issue for us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. There's great comfort in that. Let me give you two or three charges here. Closing. May those who claim to be people of faith in Christ live in a way that our behavior and that our attitudes will will reflect an inner security and inner strength that is rooted and grounded in an understanding of God's incredible love for me. May I, you know, insecurity in any form in any person is never a good thing. And if you have that in your faith, I can assure you it's not good for you. So may you, may you, as a person of faith in Christ, have a lifestyle, behavior, and attitudes that reflect security and strength that is rooted in the, in the, in the amazing love of Christ. It, when you understand that, it will change how you live. My second may is may... Your shortcomings and failures not cause you to dive into some spiritual funk that causes you to question your security in a loving, powerful God. We've all been there, probably, where we have one disappointment after another in ourselves, maybe, and we're like, oh gosh, there's no hope for me. Yes, there is, first of all, and secondly, I would pray that may not cause you to sink into some funk, some spiritual funk. Here's what I would pray. I would pray instead that it may cause you to be catapulted back to God, back to Christ, seeking, accepting, and thanking Him for His forgiveness. Seeking, accepting, and thanking Him for His forgiveness over and over and over again. Because you see, Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's really a very simple issue. The person of faith in Christ is safely in the center of God's hand and nothing can ever change that. And we thank God for that. Let's pray together. God, we... We are in awe, I am in awe, of of the keeping power of God, the Holy Spirit, and how you work in our lives, and how you are able to just do amazing things in our heart, in our lives, in our mind. I pray, Lord God, that we would have a greater understanding of your love for each of us. And I pray that our lives would reflect that. In Jesus' name, amen.